So I'm here with Greg, and、uh, I'd like to kick off by welcoming you, Greg, to the Export to Japan podcast. It's a great pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's, it's our pleasure to have you here, and certainly looking forward to this discussion with you. Now, we've got a lot of stuff to squeeze into this podcast, a lot that we want to talk about, and I'm going to be picking your brains on lots of different topics. But I want to dive right in to get us started, and I want to just get your opinion on one of the core areas that so many of our listeners、um, send us inquiries on, and that is on the topic of distribution and choosing a distributor. So that's how I'd like to just kick it off、um, as the first topic. What thoughts and Advice would you have to overseas companies that are coming into the Japanese market that are thinking about how to go about engaging the right distributor? First thing I would say is don't do stupid things. And you would be amazed the number of exporters that I met in my career where I was doing export promotion who got tied up with Japanese importers based on they met the guy、uh, on the plane or they bumped into someone randomly and that became their distribution model. What I would say is that's the craziest selection process I've ever heard of. Do proper due diligence. There are many, many organizations who can help you with partner selection, both in your home country in the UK and also here in Japan. They are experts, they have all the contacts, they know who's good and who you should be working with. So, due diligence is one thing. The second thing, the other stupid thing you've got to avoid, I believe, is Be very, very careful about giving any type of exclusive arrangement for distribution to any company. Now, you can have exclusive arrangements, but they have to be balanced. They have to have targets, volumes, milestones, something that can get you out in case you are being lured into a trap. And this happens. You know, you don't know much about Japan. You get involved with a large company, you think, wow, great. This is going to be incredible. We're all going to be rich. And that company actually sees you as a competitor for another line of business that they're covering. And they don't actually want you in the market. So they get you in an exclusive arrangement and then they park you. And you just, you know, you can't quite understand why the sales are not going anywhere and it doesn't seem to be growing. And, but you can't do a thing about it because you're in this exclusive locked in arrangement with no targets, no volumes to be achieved, nothing to get you out. Now, you would think that logical business people would not do anything like that, but they do do things like that because they don't know Japan. They feel weak. They think, oh, I got no idea about the Japanese distribution system. I don't know anybody there. How could we possibly get into the market? Oh, great. This big company, we're going to. We want to clean up. No. Now, yes, you can do exclusive. You can clean up, but you've got to have some protections for yourself. So I find that sort of random selection of、uh, you know, the distribution partner to be crazy. And I find also agreeing to an, something like that also crazy. One of the things I found also, which is very useful, and this is something that,、uh, again, you have to have a fair bit of trust、uh, built up with your partner in Japan, who's a distribution partner, is to really help them do a good job. Now, A couple of things here. One is,、uh, and this is, I don't know whether this is shocking for people or not, but the vast majority of companies are staffed by salaried employees who are not paid on a commission basis or any particular performance bonus 
bonuses in Japan are basically delayed salary. So you've got really, you know, sort of journeyman person who's your opposite number here, who's doing the selling for you on behalf of your product lineup. They do not have a great number of incentives to do a good job. They are invariably poorly, poorly trained in how to sell. They have come through the on-the-job training methodology of how to learn, which means their boss took them to a couple of meetings and then said, okay, get on with it. So you sort of imagine that somehow this person is going to be the person coming through the door to sell your product, and they're going to do a good job as a salesperson. Not correct. The other thing is they're going to have a lineup of a large number of products normally, and yours is just one of them. So if you have an ability to create good level of trust with the individuals you're dealing with, help them with the training on your product, but also not just the product content, but how to sell your product, how to sell, <laughs> that would be very helpful. And also, you know, to uh, support them with training, of course, about the details, but also how to penetrate the market, give them ideas, give them ideas about campaigns, because invariably, Japan is such a risk-averse society. People are very hesitant to jump in. You've got to help them to jump in with something that makes sense to them because you've worked with them. So that's just off the top of my head, a couple of quick things I want to mention. Great there thoughts. are more things about distribution I'd like to say, but mm. uh, do you have any questions on that? Because I don't well, want to I just do. keep talking yeah, 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 without a yeah. break here, but well, I'll give you a chance to jump in as well. Thank you, yeah, and but great information you shared there. So thank you. That, that was a, a great uh, comprehensive answer to, to a very important question. There was one particular part of something that you touched on there that, again, I know a lot of our listeners have an issue with. You, you, you explained very clearly the reasons why foreign companies shouldn't jump into bed quickly with the first company or distributor that they meet on the aircraft or often meet at an overseas trade show or something like that. Very important point you made. Do you have any experience or any words of wisdom for foreign companies that find themselves already in those relationships with a the distributor? They may have some exclusive exclusivity agreement or they may not but they're already in that relationship and it's hit the buffers and it's not going well and they want to either work out how to make it work or possibly work out how to exit that relationship any any wisdom you can share on that with us yeah it's going to be painful that's my first part of my wisdom transfer prepare for pain when you're a highly risk averse culture like it is here this is a great saying everyone listening write this down in japan we love the devil we know over the angel we don't know. <laughs> and everyone sitting in the UK is an angel that they don't know because you've got something that is better, faster, cheaper, more reliable, better tech, whatever, differentiated, whatever. It is an angel product, but they won't go for it because they don't know you. And so this is where this emotional part comes in. Where they've had track record with someone else, they've built trust over a long period of time, they are happy to go with, they'll pay more and put up with less to keep that relationship going because it's highly risk averse. Now, when you want to break in, you've got to go past that. So there is that emotional aspect in Japan about business. Now, in our current conversation about extracting yourself, this is where you've got to have some really honest, heartfelt, authentic conversations. And, you know, not trying to trick anybody, not trying to outsmart anybody. You are just explaining that this volume or this degree of production or this degree of success 
does not match expectations and you've done all that you believe you could possibly do to help them. And I hope that you have done that. I hope that you have been training their teams on the product, training their teams on how to sell it, really working with them to expand the production or expand the distribution through advertising, through marketing. And one thing, and this is, this is something that's not easy in Japan, but it's something if you can do it, please try and do it. Go behind the wall. What is the wall? The wall is Japanese companies have a great fear that you're going to go around them to their buyers and dub them and cut them out. That's why they put up a wall between you and the rest of the food chain going down the line in the distribution model here. However, if you've built up a degree of trust and you can do it and you make sure you go with them and you say, I want to go with you. I want to thank the top 20% of your buyers who represent 80% of your purchases. And I personally want to thank them for their business. I want to be there and thank them personally. And I want to support you. If they will believe you enough that you're not going to try and go around them and dub them and you go with them, trust me, when you get to that second line of buyers, they never get visited by anybody. They never get thanked by anybody. So here you are, the foreigner in Japan, turning up in their office, thanking them for their business. It is an emotional country. They will be impacted emotionally. They will feel something special about you and your product. They will sell more of your product and your distributor will be very happy and you'll be very happy. And you just keep repeating this with the top 20% who equal 80% of your sales. Well, let's explore that further. I mean, again, thank you for a really good answer there. Very, very comprehensive. And I think you've started to touch on the next area that I really wanted to explore because we've started to talk about some of the differences between the Western way of doing business and Western culture and Western business practice against some of the exclusive and unique parts of the Japanese business culture and practice. And the emotional bit is a very strong message that's already come across there. But what I'd like to do now is move on to, let's park up the thoughts about the distribution model and that way of coming in and the thoughts about that, just as a more general level for foreign companies that are out there that are thinking about entering the Japanese market. And they might be thinking, you know, this is a confusing place. I don't know anything about it. It sounds bizarre. It sounds different. What are some of the key points you think they should be thinking about that, uh, in this difference of business culture between the Western practice, Western business culture and the Japanese business culture? Yeah, thank Thank you, Steve. I think the major difference there is time and expectations of what will happen during a certain period of time. We in the West are often, if we're public companies, we're working off quarterly results. Uh, There's a lot of pressure from the stakeholders, shareholders to get results quickly. This is not the country to come to if you want results quickly, unless you've got something that is really extraordinary and exceptional and everybody wants it. This is the country of grinding patience. Now, Japanese companies, when they go overseas, they lose money for long periods of time to get penetration to that market. You know, there are so many examples of this. When you look at the Prius car from Toyota, for example, when I was here, when they first launched that, I had a test drive when they first launched that, they lost money every year on that Prius for years. It became the number one best-selling car in Japan. But it would never have become the number one best-selling car in Japan if they had not been able to support it by year after year of losses. And, you know, A&A Airlines, they lost money for years going overseas before they cracked the market. 
This is the difference. They don't have people who are getting paid massive bonuses. The, the, the presidents of Japanese corporations are getting paid a peanut compared to, well, America. everyone gets paid a peanut compared to the Americans. But even on a UK basis, you know, your captains of industry are well remunerated, no question. In Japan, they're modestly remunerated and they often don't get shares. And, you know, there's not a lot of upside there personally. So, you know, the, the whole thing here is it's, patience, it's time, you join the company, you go through many aspects of divisions within the company to learn the whole business, you're a generalist, and over time you gradually get to the top. So their, their time dimension concept is much, much, much more patient than ours. We tend to be, well, I put in this much money, I need this much money out now. If that's your marker, you are going to have a lot of heartbreak, tears at bedtime, and red ink all over the place, if that's your idea, it's not going to work like that. And also, as I said, you're the angel they don't know. Guess what? They're not going to jump into bed with an angel they don't know, no matter how good looking you are, <laughs> you know, how, you know, how you're winking at them. They're not going to go for that. They want to, they want to check you out. They want to see, are you reliable? Because they're not interested in a one night stand. They're interested in a partnership. They're not after a, a, a transaction. They're after a partnership. They're looking for someone they can trust long term. And the good thing on the flip side is once you get the trust, you're hard to get out. Yeah, okay. Got you're it. hard to yeah, get out. Yeah, once you're you get rewarded in, for that hard you're work, hard right? to get out, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is why it's hard to get in. And your competitors Because you've got to push somebody who's already in there out right. yourself. So it. it's a, it. both a, a bonus and a barrier at the yeah. same time. So, you know, the point there is time. You've got to be patient. Maybe you can start small. But, you know, uh, low cost, build it up over time. Mm, okay, okay. Well, I wanted to explore this issue of trust a little further with you because, again, you've referred to that a few times and I think that's a really, really important point. So I can see how your clear explanation of the time scale and the time expectation um, would be an important part of sort of building trust, putting the time in, not being too greedy, not being too pushy, not looking for the results too quickly. But any other thoughts on other tips that you could give the international companies about how to go about building that trust with the Japanese companies? Yeah, I think it's almost impossible to over-communicate with Japanese companies. We have all become time poor because we're absorbed with social media, we're absorbed with devices in our hands 24 hours a day. Uh, you know, the speed of business is so rapid today, yet Japanese need a lot of loving. I'm coming back to my, uh, my analogy there before. They need a lot of loving. You know, they need to be constantly told what's happening. They need to be corresponded with much, much more than you would do with a, a Western company. We all tend to be, it's of irony, really. This is a country of Zen. And in the West, we are all very Zen, which is to say sparse and minimal uh, with our communication, very businesslike, minimum needed. And yet here in the country of Zen, they're the other way. They're sort of Rococo or something, you know. They're very, very overstated in that sense. You need to correspond. You need to be keeping them up to date. What, this is where we are. This is what's happening. Why? Because this risk aversion. They need to know nothing's going to go wrong. I remember we were exporting bark to Japan for gardens. Now, bark has to be clean. It can't be bark with twigs, no twigs. It can't be bark with stones, pebbles, sand, no stones, pebbles, sands. It must just be pure bark. They put them in a big container. They compress it. They compress it and it, you get a lot into one container. You ship it off to Japan. It goes into the gardening uh, industry for distribution. Terrific. So 
The boat is supposed to leave for the uh, you know, shipment of bark to Japan. The supplier rings us up and says, oh, by the way, uh, we missed the boat. But don't worry, it'll be on the next one. Well, we ring the Japanese buyer. Uh, unfortunately, they missed the boat. Well, I'm telling you, my staff member, and I'm not, not exaggerating, she was holding that phone at arm's length in her office. We could hear the screaming down that phone line. Why was that person screaming? Because they realized they've just burnt their entire supply chain down the line. Because here, there's no great capacity for storing large amounts of stock like there are in many other countries. Here, it's all minimum quantities. So no one holds a lot of stock. So you have to have constant replenishment for your small capacity to store stock. So you need to have reliability of supply. It's like Steve, if you and I go to Shimbashi, we go out to have beers tonight, one of those little holes in the wall you get here in Japan, it's like, you know, eight seats or something, and we're sitting out there having a nice beer, and the beer runs out. Well, that little <laughs> hole in the wall has got no storage. A little old guy right, right. on his 50cc motorbike turns up with one case of beer <laughs> strapped on the back, and that's our beer for the next mm. hour. And when that runs out, well, you and I would probably run out in half an hour. When that <laughs> runs out, the guy turns up on his 50cc motorbike again with another case because there's no storage. So there's that reliability. If you burn them, this company burnt them, man. And that meant their whole devil we know reliability was, was, in, was really threatened. And, you know, they don't want to have that. They want to have reliability. So that's why trust is so important because everyone is interlinked with everyone else all down the line, can't have big stock, need to have, you know, predictability, need to have reliability. That's why the trust is so important. So once you, you know, there are no, well, I don't think there are any second chances in Japan. If you're a fallen politician, you can't discover Jesus like in America and come back, you know? <laughs> You're out. And you look at uh, fallen business people here, they're out. And the same, you know, if you, if you burn somebody, sunshine, you're out. You ain't coming back. So you don't want to do that. You've got to absolutely. And so this is why they want to know everything's okay. Everything's on track. Are we safe? Are we safe? Are we safe? So that's why this over-communication thing comes in that they need to be reinforced all the time. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Because they're dealing with foreigners. Now, here's a funny story. We were sending, we were sending stone to Japan, you know, quarry, stone quarry. Pretty basic, right? You cut the stone and you ship it. Anyway, the guy who was running the quarry, he was giving a, a public speech while I was attending once. He's, he's sort of rough-hewn, stonemason sort of guy, right? right? You wouldn't expect much from this guy as a public speaker. <laughs> he gave a terrific speech. And he did a couple of things that were quite smart. And one thing, he very humorous. He said, you know what? These Japanese are very interesting. I get, this is back in the days of faxes, right? Back in the days of faxes. He said, I get these faxes. All the Japanese faxes have got this big stamp in English which says, urgent. And he said, you know what? I looked around my desk. I don't have any stamps which say urgent on them. But here are these Japanese who don't even speak English, have all got stamps in English with a big urgent on them. That's the very point. Got it. They uh, want to know. Very well made. You can respond. They need to know what's happening now. Yes. But what happens in the West? You send an email. You get an answer two days later. Mm. If you get an answer, mm. you know, you yeah. ring someone. They yeah. ring you back two days later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if they, well, these days you can't ring anybody because you can't get anybody in the damn phone <laughs> anymore. But imagining you could ring someone like you used to, you know, people yeah. take their time. In, you know, 
not Japanese. It, again, funny story. Back in the days of faxes, uh, when I used to get faxes here in Japan, I used to take the hot fax out of the machine, write on it, either thank you, I'll get back to you, or write the answer on it, put it back in the fax machine while we're still cooking, wow, wow, and send wow, it back. Wow. That's Amazing. the fast response, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's doesn't get much quicker than that one. <laughs> that's impossible today because yeah. we don't use fax as much anymore. Well, Japan does, but we don't. But that sort of thing, don't delay. If you get, if you get a query, respond straight away because what you're saying to them is, I appreciate that the speed of business in Japan moves quickly. I understand that you've got a lot of people depending on you down the line in the food chain. I know that you need to have an answer. I know that you need to be reinforced that it's all okay. That's how you do it. So quick response is important. Even if you just say, I'll be back to you in two hours. I'll be back to you in six hours. Mm. I'll be back to you tomorrow mm. morning. Mm. Don't mm. leave it. Respond. At least you're responding, right? And just the fact of responding and letting it. them know. Because yeah. then they go, oh, good. They Because again, you know, when you send an email, you never really know, did they get the email? Oh, they got my email. Good. They know what I want. Good. You know, so these things that come back to how you how you reinforce the trust element. And here's another thing too I suggest. Visit Japan often for as much face-to-face -face as you can afford. Don't think you can do it by video. Don't think you can do it by phone. You, of course you can do that, but on top of that, come, come. Yeah. Press the flesh, yes. face-to-face. Yeah. You know, daytime, be serious. Nighttime, be jovial. Have beers, have fun, laugh, joke. But during the day, don't mix it up. This is the thing. The exporters I used to deal with coming up to Japan, they mixed up what is business time, what is okay. what is nighttime. Interesting. Because Japan is very formal. And when you go into a meeting, man, you could cut the air with a knife. It's so rigid and formal. And they want to have a more relaxed atmosphere. They want to, you know, let's get to know each other and be friends and, and have, a, have that type of relationship. So I'm going to lighten this atmosphere with some levity and some, you know, humor. And it falls flat. Right. After six with beers, it goes like a champion. A little different. <laughs> but up until that time, your potential future job as a stand-up comedian ain't going to fly. Give up yeah. on that job. Yeah. Not going to work. So when you're in Japan during the day, be serious, be businesslike, be pleasant, be formal. After hours, then let it all hang out because they will. On this topic, there is one question I want to ask you here. And this is a, this is a very specific one, but I think you're... We're leading into it a little bit now, but it is one that has come up quite frequently from our audience, and in particular from companies that have been over to Japan and, and had some meetings with potential Japanese partners and, and, and buyers, but they've got a little bit confused about some of these issues. And the particular one that people often raise to us is they say that when they come along to those meetings that you're talking about during the daytime, and they you know, do a pitch, do a presentation, talk about their solution, talk about what they're offering. But they say that they get very little reaction from the Japanese side, very little feedback, very hard to tell from body language, very little comment back. It's all very silent on the Japan side. So they then come out of that meeting thinking, well, I've no idea if that went well, didn't go well. I, I just don't know where I stand on it. So again, is this something you're familiar with? And do you have any thoughts or advice on, on this yes, particular topic? Uh, <laughs> Japanese business meetings are very formal. Uh, often the most important person in the room says nothing. 
Often the least important person in the room is the one speaking in English to you. That's always a guide. The person who can speak the best English is by far usually the least important decision maker in the room. So don't think because you can, you know, get buddy-buddy with the English speaker that somehow you've got a leg in. You don't. The reason they're not saying anything is, again, they're trying to gauge you. They're trying to think, okay, do we believe this? Now, uh, one of the problems with in, in the sales world in Japan, the buyers have all been trained to get thrown a pitch, and then their job is to shoot the pitch full of holes. It's like grouse hunting. You know, you get out the shotgun, you open the chamber, you put the pellets in, close it up, grouse takes off, boom, boom, you shoot it full of holes, right? That's the idea. You put up your pitch, we're going to shoot it full of holes because we want to know that we've alleviated as much potential risk to this deal as possible. And, you know, we've addressed that and we're happy that this is a low risk idea and that you are a low risk partner. So the problem there is you're pitching. Now, ideally, you're not going to be pitching. Ideally, you're going to be in some meetings where you're actually able to do proper sales job, understanding how to deal with the buyer, how to get the information out of them, how to understand what they need. And therefore, what you present will be totally in line with what they need and aligned. The other thing is in that room, there are bound to be various stakeholders sitting there. And it's a classic case of very few will say yes, but a lot can say no. And because it's a consensus decision-making system and because there are lots of people who will be impacted by the decision, they will all have representatives in the room or who will be briefed on the decision or, or not decision, on the discussion. And again, they can, all e they can all say no more easily than they can say yes. So what you've got in the room is a, a representation of the uh, decision-making team. You don't quite know who's got the power play within that group, and there may not be a power play. It just may be different forces have got different concerns. But they all want to know that their little part of the world, their little part of this decision is going to be protected. You are someone, you're an angel, but I'm going to make you someone I can trust. And that, you know, uh, we're not going to have any problem with this new initiative because Japan doesn't like change. It doesn't like new, doesn't like change in the B2B world anyway. At the consumer level, they love new. Mm -hmm. They love new. But at the B2B level, not so keen about that. Tried and true is always better. So uh, this again, hard to read the body language. Your job should be not to be in a position where you're pitching like that. Your job should be to be doing a good job as a salesperson, knowing how to deal with a sales buyer, right? And then get the information from them, know how to get, this is interesting too, you see, how to get permission to ask questions. If you and I are in business, Steve, and we're doing a deal, and I'm meeting you for the first time, I will start asking you questions. I'll start digging in and finding out what you need and what are the problems you have and where are the gaps and how can I possibly help you? And you will have no problem answering my questions. But in a Japanese context, that would be an absolute affront. Who are you? to come in here off the street, I don't know you, and you are interrogating me, <laughs> the buyer? Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna answer your questions because in Japan, the buyer is not king. Okay, everyone, get this, write this down. In Japan, the buyer is not king. In Japan, the buyer is God. <laughs> and God doesn't answer questions from nobodies. <laughs> that they don't know, except if you know how to ask for permission. Okay, well, fascinating. Tell us more. How do we ask for permission? Well, here's the, here's the point. 
you've got to have you've got to understand how to build the trust in the first part of the engagement of the client you've got to have a credibility statement you've got to then take that credibility statement and lead into the questioning for example my company for example if i'm doing my company dale cunningham well, Steve, Dale Cunningham Training is a global training company. We've been in Japan 55 years, 106 years all around the world. What we do is we help individuals and businesses to build the potential of their people to skill up and become better in their performance levels and output, therefore improving the overall results of that company. Now, uh, an example of that would be XYZ Company, who's a major Italian retailer that we helped here recently. We trained all of their salespeople on the floor, and their sales results went up by 30% as a result. Now, maybe we could do the same for you. Steve, I'm not sure if that's possible. I don't know enough about your situation to know that. But if you wouldn't mind, would you mind if I asked a few questions to know whether it's possible or not to see if those same results would be viable for you? Can I ask you a few questions, few yeah. short questions? Got it. Right? right, so here's a few things. I put in 106-year-old company, 55 years in Japan, global. These are all credibility statements. I gave the example of XYZ Company, which is a real case, mm. actually. I'm mm. not going to mention mm. the company because we're not allowed to, but it's a real case. It was a 30% increase. They are a very high-end luxury retailer, and uh, you know, that is all true. So it's not stuff mm. I'm making up. Right. It's got to be course, true. Don't tell Japanese yeah, lies. Yeah. You tell them one lie, you're done forever. Uh, tell them the truth and be able to back it up. But they say, oh, what's the name of their company? Right. I'll give you the number. Here's the president. Call him or her. Right? And then maybe, now if I'm an American sales guy, I'll be, Steve, we can definitely do that for you. Well, I'm sure your results will fly out the window after we get together and we have a great partnership. That's the American style, right? Aggressive, very direct, right? Japanese, No. I'm saying maybe mm. we could do the same for you. I'm so not sure. Yeah, In order for yeah. me to understand whether that's possible or not, would you mind if I ask you a few questions? Now, if it goes nowhere, that's true. It will be a few questions. But if there's an interest there, there's probably going to be a truckload of questions. In fact, we could be going on for quite a long right, time. Right. So that's the that got but you've got to know how to set explain. up the questioning model and get permission. Yes, yes, yes. Once you have permission, then you can start digging in to find out what they need. And then you might say to yourself, you know what, square peg, round hole here, this isn't gonna work. We don't actually have what they need. Get out of there. Right, don't waste right, your time. Right. Drink your lukewarm, bitter, low quality <laughs> green tea and go and find a customer who actually you can help. You know, so you've got to be very you know, very authentic about that too. Yeah. And don't don't try and drive the square peg into the round mm. hole here. That's just ridiculous. Don't go there. Mm -hmm. Find the right find buyer. The Move on. Right. Find the yeah, right buyer. Yeah, got it. Okay, good. All right. Brilliantly explained. Thank you. There's, there's such great little nuggets of wisdom we're bringing out here and, uh, and, and, and valuable stuff that we're learning. One point I want to get onto here, and again, this is keeping it very general, thinking about our audience and some of the questions that we know we regularly get through from the audience. With a lot of the valuable information that you're sharing and the great tips you're sharing, a lot of it does involve dialogue. And it's one of the strong thing messages you've given about communication and how important it is. So one of the big questions that comes is, how much can a foreign company do in this market by English language skills? And to what extent should they try and get Japanese language skills? And if they do need Japanese language skills, what are the different ways they should think about achieving that? So what are your thoughts on that topic? Okay, well, ideally, fluency in Japanese is an obvious example where it's an advantage, 
obviously. It takes a long time to get Japanese fluency at a business level. So that's a very long-term goal you might have. I think probably eliminate your idioms. We have got lots and lots of idioms in our language. Slow down when you speak. Speak obviously clearly and simply. Do not rabbit on without breaks. Now, particularly if you're being translated as you are speaking, someone's actually interpreting what you're saying, this is quite difficult. It's a skill you need to get. You need to say something, stop, hold that thought while the interpreter puts that into Japanese, pick up your thought again and keep going. Now you think, oh, that's, that's easy peasy. How hard could that be, right? It's pretty hard. You know, I was here when we were promoting the Olympics and we had a very famous Australian swimmer called Murray Rose, one of my boyhood swim heroes as I was growing up in Australia. Come and I, I met Murray Rose and that was a great honor for me. But he did something that really impressed me. He was giving a talk and he was a genius at this. He could talk, stop, not lose a train of thought and keep going with that theme perfectly. Very few people can do that. Mm. So this is something when you speak, you've really, got to, you've really got to be disciplined. You've got to say, this is what I'm going to say. I get to this bit and keep it brief. Let them interpret it. Keep that thought going. Don't get distracted. Don't go off on a tangent. Don't lose your train of thought. You've got to stick with it. That is a skill you've got to mm. practice. It's not hard, mm. not easy, I should say. It's hard to do. And most people have no clue about interpreters. You know, what's the, what's the usual thing with, with foreign languages? They, I'll just speak louder. <laughs> uh, no, that isn't going to work. You need interpretation. Slow down. Talk in brackets. Keep a train of thought. Now, if you are uh, able to learn Japanese, terrific. That's great. It'll take you a long time. If you can employ uh, interpreters, here's another, another golden rule. Always employ your own interpreter. They will say, Steve, we'll have our people interpret the meeting. Don't worry. Good. Who do they work for? Mm. You want someone who's working for you. Now, nothing with interpreters. They're often women. Okay, They're often not coming. I'm not saying this because they're women. They're not coming from business backgrounds. But often they're not. Because the way Japan works, they, they don't allow them to go up right. in the system. So they've never actually had a, a, a big job in a Japanese company. And they've gotten out of there because they could never get a big job in the company. They bolted out anyway to become an independent as interpreter. This is nothing sexist here, folks. Okay? Sure. I'm just telling you the reality. They're usually women. They're usually people who've not really had a business career per se. They don't know much about business. And they probably know nothing about your business or your sector at all or your detail. They know about taking words from one language and putting it into another. So don't expect too much from them. But what you can expect is they will interpret what you say. And they will tell you what the Japanese side is saying amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. right? And they will tell you what the body language is, what's the read on how they're, how they're absorbing uh, and receiving your message, okay? And they may, they may, if they've got some business background, be able to give you some insight into how this is going to play and what should come next. But they're not your business guide. They are an interpreter, but often because they're, Jap oh, they're Japanese. 
well, they're Japanese. They speak English. They're Japanese. Of course they know about business. No, they don't. So don't expect too much. And if they do, that's a bonus, but it's rare. But still, always take your own interpreter because they work for you. Yeah, got it. So Japanese language, hard road to hoe, takes a long time. Uh, you might, and then there are lots of foreigners here who are you know, bicultural, bilingual, or have a very good command of Japanese. And what do they do? Ah, uh, no, no, we don't want to employ them because, you know, uh, well, we'd rather take someone from headquarters who knows the business and we'll send them out to Japan and because they're really experts, they'll do a good job out there, you know, rather than someone actually knows the culture, knows the people, knows the language. You know, it's a lot easier to teach those people who know the culture, language and the people here about your business than it is to send someone out from your headquarters who knows nothing about Japan and teach them about Japan. Here's my analogy for you. I'm a guy full of analogies here, aren't I? Sorry. Imagine, I've never been to Scotland, but I can imagine that Loch Ness is a rather cold, fog-encrusted lake. I don't know, maybe it isn't, but let's assume it is. You arrive in Japan. You're now in the lake. There's a heavy fog blanketing that lake. You can hear noises when you first arrive, but you can't make out anything because it's heavy fog. After about a year year and a half, you can still hear the noise and you can sort of see the vague outline. Is that a cliff? Is that an island? Is that a tree? What is that over there? After about three years, the fog begins to lift a little bit and you start to see, oh yes, that's an island over there. Oh yes, that's a tree. And then your company says, right, you're going to Argentina. <laughs> right? This is the problem. You get sent Got out it. here, you don't have the background, you don't know anything. Yes. And then by the time you start to get a clue, they move you to some other country and they send you to the next routine of the same thing Got it. whereas you could have someone here who knows the country knows the people knows the language who could you invest in and keep them in your company who over time will become a total expert in both sides of the equation you know Brilliant. and uh, i think that's something that people should invest in but they don't want to do that if they think oh no 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 we need we need the expert on the product Greg, I've got one, one eye on the clock a little bit, and I want to make sure we, we leave enough time. I mean, you've, you've kindly shared so many valuable nuggets of, of wisdom and advice for us, and, and I really appreciate how much we've learned so far. And I'm sure we've whet the appetite of the listeners um, to really think um, in a very different way about their approach to the market. But I want to make sure that we leave a little bit of time to talk about how people can learn more from you. Um, now, I'm aware of this book that you've recently launched, and I want to ask you all about the book in a moment. But before we dive onto that, you touched on the work you do with um, with the Dale Carnegie organization. So could you just tell us a little bit more about what you do there, what are the services you offer, and how companies that are listening to this podcast could engage with you if they want to talk more about getting help? First thing I'd say, I have some free services which may be advantageous to your listeners. If you go onto iTunes and search for the Leadership Japan series or and or the Sales Japan series and or the Leadership Japan series, all free. There are hundreds of episodes of all of those podcasts, which are totally free, about doing business in Japan. And it goes into great detail, all of these things at many, many levels. I also do a weekly YouTube show called The Cutting Edge Japan Business Show, released every Tuesday. So that's, again, another free resource that you can go and tap into, which will help. Connect with me on LinkedIn, okay? Greg, or Dr. Greg Story. Look for Dr. Greg Story, S-T-O-R-Y. And connect with me on LinkedIn. You will get access immediately to 1,200 articles 
six, seven, eight hundred word long articles on LinkedIn. I post every day. I post one in English and I post one in Japanese. And so these articles are very, very specific about doing business here, all free. So if it's Facebook, connect with me on Facebook, you'll get the same access. Twitter, connect with me on Twitter, you'll get the same access. They're on all three platforms. So that's all the free stuff out there. What do we do? We cover a number of areas, but particularly in Japan, we're asked for things like leadership training,、uh, because there's such a paucity of leadership here, honestly. It's just a big vacant hole here in terms of leadership capability. We do a lot of sales training. I'll talk about the book in a moment. We do a lot of communication presentation skills training too. These are the weak points, I think, in the culture here that they haven't developed professionally enough. So, probably 95% of our training is done in Japanese because we're in Japan, obviously. But about probably 60, 40 foreign multinational Western companies to 40% local companies would be the split. It varies from year to year. Two years ago, it was 50 50. This year, it's probably 60 40. It's roughly around that, right? So, we're helping companies there. We don't do market entry. That's not what we do. We don't do that. I I'm helping companies who are on the ground here build their businesses. Now, it might be I'm training your distributors' people. That happens a lot too. You know, we have foreign companies here who are distributing their product through Japanese system. They're not happy with the progress that the Japanese sales team are making. And Ferrari is an example. There you go. There's Ferrari as an example, you know. And so we're training the dealerships. The sales directors of the dealerships here in Japan to better train their people to sell more Ferraris in Japan, as an example. So it's that, again, down the chain of the distribution model, we're helping their salespeople to do proper work. Now, the book you're referring to, it's on Amazon. It's called Japan Sales Mastery. It is written for you and I, it is written for foreigners who are selling to Japanese buyers. And the last book, On this subject was published in 1988, 30 years ago, by another Australian called Roger March. And he called, that book was called The Japanese Negotiator. There has not been a book on this subject for 30 years. And I wrote this book for us, and it's a how to book how to do all the things I've talked about in terms of the sales process. And it's there to help us to do a better job. And so, you know, if, if people are interested, and please have a look at it, it's got a Kindle version. If I can ever find two minutes, I'm going to do the audio version. But、uh, you get on Amazon. So that might help people to, when you're here and you're dealing with Japanese buyers, the, the insights in that book, I think, will help you a lot because a lot of things will become clearer to you. And you'll have a better strategy of what you need to do here and how you need to do it. So I hope that helps. So there's a lot of free services we have. Sounds amazing. The largest, you know, Microsoft, Sony, you know, all these big companies here. We do with small companies, big companies, complete cross section, all industries, because it's all around soft skills.、Yeah. You know, we don't do product training, we don't do marketing, we don't do any of that stuff. We, do, we don't do market entry. We do soft skills around those areas of communication, you know, presentation skills, leadership, sales, basically. But we've been doing it here for a very long time. And well, so, you know, we know what we're doing. The experience you've shared with us from the sort of questions that our audience are asking that I've passed on to you, it's very clear the,、uh, the depth and, and, and level of experience you've got on all these topics. So it's very valuable. And as I said, I'm grateful for you sharing some of those wisdoms for the podcast here today. But I think it's also equally as important that our audience know where they can go to tap into your free resources that you've kindly put out there. But also, if they want to talk to you about more detailed help they might want. And certainly, I would recommend to 
to everyone that's considering doing business in Japan, they should get hold of a copy of this book. I've got a copy of it right here and, and I'm delighted. I've had the chance to have a flick through it and it looks incredible. It's just more detail on some of the stuff that we've been learning from, from Greg today. I see, looking at the front cover, there's a lovely big gold um, stamp or, or symbol on there. I used the word stamp because you referred to stamps a bit earlier, saying that this is a number one bestseller. So that, that indicates that it's gone off the shelves well so far. It has. It has. But I never, I mean, that was the furthest thing from my mind when I wrote it. As I said before, we before the show, I was, did three years, of, or it took three years to write this book, and you know, because your day job jumps in there and interrupts you. But I didn't even have anything like that in my mind. And then... Uh, a friend of mine had posted a review on Amazon. He said, I'll put it on Amazon, have a look. I went on Amazon, couldn't sell it, I couldn't see it. Came back the next day, and there's this gold mark next to my book's name. And I says, bestseller? What's that about? And I clicked on it and it said, number one in the sales and selling category. I was amazed. But I'm very happy because... I think, you know, after 30 years, I think we're due for a book on selling in Japan. I think so. I, I think, think we it was deserve long overdue. One, I think you spotted a gap in the market there. Well, you certainly did. And well, well done you for doing hopefully it. Hopefully it helps so, people. My yeah, object was to help people. That was really, I'm writing it from the heart. I'm writing it from my 30 plus years of selling in Japan. And uh, also from the Dale Carnegie curriculum around salesmanship, saleswomanship, a salespersonship. Pick your, pick your choice of word. Uh, the core guts of it is that sales methodology, but adapted for Japan and based on my own personal experience in the trenches. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. And, and the one thing I would say sort of as, as we bring this to a close, um, Greg, is there's no doubt from me seeing you in action many times over the years in different scenarios here in Japan, and also from just spending time with you today and, and, and chatting through things on this podcast, the thing that comes across so strongly is your passion for all of this. You're clearly so passionate about what you do. And uh, and that that's wonderful. And that just oozes out of you. And, uh, and, and it's lovely to see that and hear it and feel it from you. So uh, thank you very much. Yeah, you're very welcome. So to bring the podcast to, to, to a close, um, you know, I, I would just like to re-emphasize those points. Reach out uh, to Greg, you know, if, if you think there's something that he can help you with or something through Dale Carnegie where they can support you, feel free to reach out. Greg has mentioned how, how, how to find him. I don't think it will be difficult to, to, to find him out there. I would certainly urge you all to just reach out and get yourself a copy of this book. Don't even hesitate to do that. For, for the amount of money that it's going to cost you, you know, just reading one chapter in this book will pay you back for that investment. Probably just reading, you know, the introduction will, will, will do it. And there's a ton of other valuable stuff in there. So I'd certainly recommend, you know, let's help keep it at the, at the top of the bestseller list and, and reach out there and get, get a copy of, uh, of Greg's book. Um, and, and yeah, I would just like to thank you all for, for, for sort of tuning in and please keep in touch with us for further podcasts coming along. And uh, it just leaves me in conclusion to say a huge thank you to our very valuable guest today. We appreciate you giving up your time, appreciate you sharing your wisdoms. And uh, thank you so much, Greg. It's been a pleasure having you. My great pleasure. And if you find with your leader, with your listeners, I should say, uh, if they're in Japan, they want to have a cup of coffee with me, I'm always happy to share. Thank you so much, Greg. And uh, thank you all for tuning in today. Thank you. Bye Thank now. you. If you'd like more information about exporting to Japan or the Japanese market in general, visit exporttojapan.jp. If you have a question for us, send it to info at exporttojapan.jp. Thank you for listening.